They come when we are resting, or throwing, or when taking back nets. They come, smash our heads. They take everything, boat, the motor. Sometimes they throw us in the water, or they just kill us. They don't just kill one or two. Every time they come, there are eight, nine, or ten deaths. These are not precise numbers, neither figures. To avoid witnesses, this is why they kill them. But I'm giving you this information, despite working for the government, but I'm telling you everything. I'm even risking my life just to appear on this camera, they can kill me. I loved him so much. He was just 27 years old. He was also a fisherman. They used to tell him not to fish alone, but they left him at sea. They threw 11 overboard, just four survived. As long as humankind has been using the oceans to transport goods, piracy and privateering have always been following close behind. Back then, privateering, the sponsored use of piracy against opposing corporations, companies, or states, was a very popular economic tactic. Piracy, the unauthorized use of this force against trade ships, has been ubiquitous throughout history as well. While privateering has fallen off as a legitimate tactic of statecraft and economic work, piracy has persisted. And welcome to the Global Inquirer's fourth season. I'm your host, Nicholas Mortensen, and I'm here with our researcher, Kara Creeling, to talk about piracy off the coast of Venezuela and its broader significance. So Kara, can you talk to us about the case study we just heard about? So the clip you just heard detailed how piracy is severely affecting a particular family, the Marvel family, as a group of pirates have targeted them and threatened them, causing them to have to patrol the area around their home and keep their children at home and completely change the way they live their lives. So what kind of pirates are these? So we know in that instance, the group of pirates attacking that family were former fishermen themselves, as were the Marvel family, because when they attacked the Marvels, killing some of the members of the family, one of the attacking pirates asked that they not kill one of the people they were attacking because he was friends with him. They had fished together. So we know from this that these people that have turned to this, in some cases, cruel uh, ways to target these, these families, ruining their source of livelihood comes from people who benefited from the same industry. And why have fishermen turned to piracy? The reason they've turned to piracy is connected with the same reason people have been leaving in massive numbers from Venezuela. The state has experienced a political and economic breakdown. There's a lack of stability within the government. This carries to the seas where... They don't have access to basic necessities that allow them to be able to survive. They turn to piracy because they see no other option to sustain their families. And what does this piracy look like? So in these cases, these are pirates who were former fishermen themselves attacking other fishermen. And it's occurring in the territorial waters of Venezuela. And the majority of these attacks are, are happening to anchored ships, the majority of those ships being yachts. So they are looking for targets that are very predictable. They're stealing many, many things, including diapers, food, weapons, basically anything that they can get their hands on to make a little more money in areas where they could sell it. And what do you think the most valuable commodity that they're stealing is? According to one Venezuelan woman, diapers are like bars of gold. People stash food and diapers as if they were money. So this simple product, diapers, the difference in what they're worth changes so much from one area off the coast of Venezuela to another that they see the benefit in stealing it while it's in the waters of Venezuela and then bringing it to another place where they can make a profit. 
Kara, your account of this matches uh, the research we did when we did Petropolitics a couple seasons ago. We can go back and listen to it there. Can you tell us a little bit more, though, about this food shortage? Yeah, so Venezuela is going through a food shortage that the U.N. has called a humanitarian crisis. And this food shortage is because of Venezuela's economic uh, downturn. Usually, Venezuela is very reliant on food imports. They don't really have the capabilities at home to feed everyone. But due to the fact that their economy is in tatters right now, um, the uh, the IMF, the National Monetary Fund, predicts that their inflation rate is going to break 1,500 or 1,700% this year alone. They just now have the economic wherewithal to feed everyone. It's gotten so bad that 9.6 million Venezuelans are subsisting off two meals or less a day. We have nothing for lunch for the children today. And well, we have to survive and teach our children that there is no food today, that they should wait until tomorrow, the day after tomorrow. And it's painful because I'm old, so it doesn't matter. But these kids have just started to live their lives. It's been about a year and... Economic conditions have further gotten worse, so much to the point that diapers and food are becoming far more valuable and are now the most viable commodities on the street. How are these fishermen committing these acts of piracy? Are they armed? Are they threatening people? What do these acts of piracy look like? In the majority of these instances, these are unarmed robberies um, showing that these aren't pirates of means to commit many violent acts. There are some stories of incredible violence, not only off the coast of Venezuela, but uh, countries that border Venezuela. According to survivors from one attack that occurred off the coast of Guyana, pirates boarded their ship and they were doused with hot oil, and several of them were hacked with machetes and thrown overboard. The pirates want to come and rob us, so we try to catch them and scare them. We use our guns and fire off shots to make them leave. We're forming a patrol, but we don't have a lot of guns or gunpowder. We were fishing and the pirates showed up shooting. We couldn't get away. They killed three of us and left me and one of my sons alive. They tied us up and poured gasoline on us. They stole our motors and then they took our fish and left. The only ones that survived did so by jumping overboard. So these violent acts are occurring. In that particular instance, though, there was some evidence that that feud had begun on the coast, um, whereas according to the statistics, most of these are unarmed and thus largely not particularly violent, just seeing what they can take and making off with it. And is it just fishermen committing these acts of piracy? I mean, Venezuela's economy and society is going through a very hard time. I would assume there are other people who are as desperate to pull these certain actions. Is anyone else doing it? Yes, there is evidence, in fact, that members of the Venezuelan Coast Guard are complicit and exasperating the situation. One Venezuelan port official said that Venezuelan Coast Guards have been boarding anchored vessels and demanding money and food. These officials are suffering from the same issues of lacking the means to survive in in the Venezuelan economy. Not only is this problem affecting the poorest members of the society, the the fishermen who can no longer count on that to survive, but the governmental officials are making the problem worse. 
So when you think of modern day piracy, a lot of people tend to think of the coast of Somalia just for cultural reasons, as well as it being in the news a lot a couple of years ago. Do you think that the piracy that is going on in Venezuela has any parallels to Somalia in any way? There are definitely some interesting comparisons with the origins of both of them. Of of course, you don't have piracy originating in a country with a you know stable economy and strong military. There's a significant increase from 2004 to 2005 in Somalia. There's not a clear explanation, but there are multiple uh, possibilities. One being natural disaster affected a, a tsunami, which occurred affected the local populations and devastated fishing communities. So they turned to piracy, which was already in existence, but became much worse. There was also uh, significant interfactional uh, fighting uh, within Somalia. So in this sense, you can see both the the comparison of fishing communities being devastated um, and not having viable sources to sustain their families and their communities uh, turning to this. The way the two instances of piracy have developed much after the start of it, has been much different, with a significant portion of piracy in Somalia occurring in international waters. And in Venezuela, it's mostly happening, not only is it mostly happening in territorial waters, but it's happening with anchored ships. So there's less of the, you know, when it's popularized in the media, there's less like exciting chases. And that's also why people might not be paying attention to what's going on in Venezuela as much, because it is this smaller scale piracy that's still devastating communities, having a massively negative impact on people that are coming from the poorer levels of society and have no means to leave Venezuela, as many have chosen to do. Overall, the way the piracy has developed in the two countries, it's it's hard to see parallels in a meaningful way that we would be able to derive some sort of solution to what's going on in Venezuela. Yeah, and I'm looking at this report from Oceans Beyond Piracy, and it's very interesting too that Generally speaking, Venezuelan pirates are attacking, as you said, uh, anchored yachts that probably do not have anyone on them, you know, to find the commodities that are most valuable to them, food, diapers, and other life essentials. In Somalia, uh, merchant ships are being attacked while en route, and many, many more hostages are taken, and that's where a lot of high-profile stories from Somalia come from, are Somali pirates taking hostages. And just going further along these comparative lines... Can you talk about the methods that were used to combat piracy in Somalia and whether or not those same methods could be used to help in Venezuela? So in the instance of what was happening in Somalia, there were efforts from the international community to combat the piracy. There were research and reports done on what the laws of piracy meant for what the international community could do. The Somali government was largely unable to combat it because it was not a stable government. And even if it had been, their primary f- focus would need to be on the deteriorated state of their country. In Venezuela, since most of these acts are happening in the territorial waters of Venezuela, there's not really much of a role that the international government can play. It would kind of be on the onus of the Venezuelan government to reach out and if they considered their own forces to be inadequate, to request international help in combating the matter. They have not seemed to prioritize this matter in terms of reaching out to other governments or stepping in themselves. They don't really have the ability, resources, or manpower to combat it with their own governmental forces. 
the specific methods are absolutely correct. A lot of the anti-piracy work in Somalia that was so successful was interna- international project. You had NATO doing work. You had China, Russia, India, you know, protecting their own interests. You also had those shipping companies uh, contracting out private security teams and outfitting their ships with systems to prevent pirates from actually gaining access on board. And when your primary target in Venezuela is within territorial waters, so the international community can't go in without being invited, and these are docked ships or anchored ships that are not carrying freight and generally aren't going to be viable for a contracted security team or other anti-piracy measures, yeah, it doesn't really seem like the methods are quite going to work. We can't really just use what worked in Somalia and apply it in Venezuela and hope for it to work, can we? No, we cannot. And also a thing to note about the... Somali pirates and pirates operating off the coast of East Africa is there's so much trade in those waters, particularly in the Gulf of Aden. There's so many international economic interests in that area. And so not only were there was pirates in those areas, but then it was expanding and that provided, you know, a motivation for other countries to get involved. It seems unlikely that actors from nearby countries are going to kind of allow this enterprise to expand because there aren't, you know, the the resources. It's not it's not the same sort of like economic trading hotspot. So you're saying we just don't have the incentive to work anti-piracy operations in Venezuela the same way we did in Somalia. That's correct. It's it's we don't have the we don't have the incentive to combat what's happening now. We don't have any reason to think that it's going to spread beyond those areas. The global community can't do anything. Um, to combat it at this point. And just for the long-term outlook, you said that the global community isn't going to be able to assist Venezuela unless they're asked to, but what do you think is the long-term outlook for piracy in Venezuela? Do you think it's going to get better? Do you think it's going to get worse? Sort of what do you think is going to happen? There seems no reason that piracy in Venezuela would suddenly see a sharp uh, decrease without some sort of effort made by the government to both uh, combat piracy and prevent people that are part of the government from participating in it, uh, whether that be incentives uh, to stop them or severe punishment when they are committed, because the government is not in the position to start, you know, giving out incentives. They don't have that sort of uh, ability because of the state the economy's in, and they don't really have the strength to crack down on it. And the fishermen don't have any motivation to stop because this, at this point, this is the, their only way to survive. This is a new reality, and it's either participate in the piracy or suffer from the pirates attacking your ships. While this is a new and distinct issue, the Oceans Beyond Piracy Report does state that in 2017, there are only about 71 instances of piracy within Venezuela. While it's a new issue, it's still relatively geographically constrained. And I think you are right that the international community, Venezuela's neighbors, and us in the West can content ourselves with the fact that the incidents here are not affecting us directly. Uh, There's not much of an economic damage to it. The incidences remain relatively low in comparison to other global issues. I think you're right. This is one of those things that perhaps there's an incentive to ignore. Whether that's right or not, that's kind of the way it's going to have to be. I think that's accurate. And I think with all of the uh, political turmoil happening within Venezuela, that is much quicker to capture global attention. And that's what we're going to continue to be focused on. That's what is going to directly impact other countries. So that's going to get the majority of our attention. 
and this issue could potentially kind of stay stable with a similar amount of pirates so it doesn't get to the point of, you know, drastically increasing, or it might gradually increase, and eventually it'll get to the point where at least the Venezuelan government will have to do something about it because it's having that much of an impact on their economy and on their citizens. But do you think we should still at least try to reach out? I mean, I think this would be a wonderful way for the Western world, the international community, to reach out to Venezuela and say, we're willing to help you. We're willing to help stabilize your society. And would, and would offering to help it with at least anti-piracy operations kind of be that olive branch that the international community could use to work with Venezuela and possibly steer the direction as its economy still continues to decline? I think that it's something that governments should be aware of and, and should you know, especially areas that have had had to deal with piracy before, if they can, you know, see any parallels, and they certainly can use that as a, you know, way to uh, get to talking with Venezuela. But as for countries that already the relationship is strained with Venezuela, it seems unlikely that they're going to go out of their way to try to help combat a problem that doesn't affect them. Unfortunately, we can't always end these episodes on a high note. There are going to be times where uh, collaboration for one reason or another is going to be too difficult for countries to carry out. There are going to be times where economic or societal conditions are too difficult to surmount in this moment. And there are going to be times where people are going to remain desperate and have to resort to the actions that they are using to survive day to day. And that's all we have for our first episode of the season. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for Tara Creeling for her work on the episode, and thank you for Andy Carluccio for his usual tech wizardry, and thank you, the listener, for listening to the podcast. Be sure to find our other episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. Just look up The Global Inquirer, and be sure to follow us on Facebook and check out our website. Join me next week when I sit down with Katya Senko and Walter Sharon to discuss the relationship between media coverage and international sanctions. Until next time, thank you for listening to The Global Inquirer.